0: a seat. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, And I am so glad uh, that you are here this morning as we uh, kicked off a new series called Seasons, uh, which is uh, about Lent. It's all about Lent for the next few weeks. And And I love this season, especially when we understand what Lent is about. It comes from this old English word uh, that just means springtime. And and as you walked in, as you looked out the window, you probably noticed uh, a sense of spring this morning. And and so today is about entering into Lent, uh, acknowledging the different seasons in our lives. And whatever season that you might be in, God has something to say to you. And what God has to say to you that what is awaiting you, no matter what season you're in, is resurrection, is resurrected life. That no matter what season you are in, whether it's joy, whether it's pain, whether it's hurt, whatever this season is, there's even something better waiting for you. But in order for us to get there, we must prepare for that. Just like any event, just like any big day in our lives, just like any uh, you know, big performance or whatever it is. There's rehearsals, there's practice, there's uh, anticipation. And, and this whole season, from the from from centru- for centuries uh, on, the season of Lent was a time for reflection and, and an intentional way to think about what it means uh, to come to a life that is with God, uh, that is resurrected, that brings good news to not only us but the entire world. And sometimes, sometimes that requires us to remove or to add something in order to better prepare for the resurrection. And so, uh, as history has shown, that during Lent, uh, oftentimes people give up something that might be distracting uh, them from that. Uh, and so maybe you have too, or maybe you've added something. I've added something, and, and my hope is that this season and in this series that we will continue To just wrestle with what season that we're in. And and not to run away from it, but to confront it, to name it, and to ask God, what do you have here in order for me to experience the resurrection there? And I acknowledge with different lives and different people in this room that we all have different stories, we all have different baggage. And I'm so glad you're here. Regardless of your church affiliation uh, or whether you've been to church at all. I'm glad that you took a risk coming this morning to hear a little bit more about Jesus. So uh, today we talk about Luke chapter 4, and I just want to set this. Before I read this, uh, I want to let you know that this is a very obscure part of the Bible where there's like a dialogue going on with Jesus and the devil, And I know that here at Bethany, we all come from different spectrums of, again, no faith to faith. But even in faith, there's like a bajillion different types of faith or different denominations, different traditions. And so this might not be very comfortable for you, but here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I want you to think about that. Jesus was in the wilderness. And I think many of us, we can identify with some form of wilderness in our lives, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. He was human. He was hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me uh, it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. This is what the devil says. If you worship me I uh, it will be all yours. And then Jesus answered it is written worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands. So that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So we see the seasons of testing. We see the seasons of temptations. We see the seasons uh, of Jesus' inauguration into his mission and his baptism. So we'll learn and we'll grow and we'll receive. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. (coughs) Again, that you have something to say in every season of our lives. And so, God, we come with those seasons. And we ask you to do with it whatever you need, whatever you want. And may we hear from you in this season. Because we know that the resurrected life is coming. And we know that joy and content and fulfillment is coming. We know that healing and transformation and hope is coming. And so help us to just latch on to that. In your name we pray. Amen. Something interesting happened to me just this last week is where somebody, you know, I was texting, back, texting somebody back and forth, and and I was just saying, it's weird because this person wants to have lunch with me, right? And, and, and I thought it was I, I was, I was honored and I was uh, excited about it, but I was just texting my friend saying, I, I don't understand, but this person wants to have lunch with me, and and the, and the response that I got is something that kind of stuck with me throughout the whole week. And, he's, and this person says, Prince, don't you think it's because this person just genuinely likes you? And because I felt like, okay, what's going on? What do I need to prepare for? Is there something I need to uh, do before this, this meeting or this lunch or whatever it is? And the response simply was, Prince, don't you think that this person just genuinely likes you? Prince, don't you think that this person genuinely just has respect for you and wants to be around you and talk with you and have lunch with you? And and though that question might sound rhetorical, I remember sitting a, a bit emotional when that question came to me because the response that I had was, I don't know. I don't know. And I felt like uh, that time in point pointed out something within me, a, a season that I might be in, a, a season that many of you might be able to resonate with me. And it's this is season of doubt. Hey, not only just doubt, in, maybe not doubt in God necessarily, if that's for you, that's okay, like I'm glad you're here. But maybe even doubt in ourselves. Well, I don't know if this person can respect me. Like, like, and and then I remember in my mind, I went through a litany of of things that I've done and I've do, and my attitude and my thoughts and all these things. And I come to the question: Well, how can this person enjoy my company? How can this person respect me? How can this person just genuinely like me? And because I've gone through all these insecurities and doubts, even in my mind, in my head about myself, and I realize I'm in this weird season. Of doubts of my calling, of how God has created me, how God has been shaping me, and maybe for some of you, you can resonate with that. Have you ever experienced a sense of doubt with yourself? and, and what we get to in Luke chapter four uh, is this temptation of doubts that the devil presents to Jesus, and the three doubts uh, of The story that we'll come across is these. Am I doing enough? Remember when I was getting that test, How I'm not even doing enough. How is this person going to respect me? How is this person enjoying me? Am I doing enough in life? Am I doing enough? Have you ever wrestled with that question? Am I I content with what what I'm doing? Do I need to do more? Again, am I doing enough? And two, am I successful enough? We have to navigate this in America all the time. Am I successful enough? Am I wealthy enough? Do I have the things that I need, that I want? Am I keeping up with my neighbors? And three, am I loved enough? I don't know about you, but I have experienced these doubts within myself quite frequently, actually, and most significantly in the last few weeks. And it's this weird season that I'm in, but maybe some of you can resonate with this season. And as we get into this story, as we just read, again, this might be a bit foreign to you. There's a bit of context uh, to this story. And whether you believe, as many do, that this was a literal story of Jesus having a dialogue with the devil, uh, or you think it's symbolic to something, perhaps something that we're talking about, or maybe something in between, Uh, Where many scholars actually believe this is a borrowed story from the Midrash, which are ancient uh, uh, Jewish stories from the Old Testament. No matter what you believe, there is something to be said about this experience with us, especially ourselves, dealing and navigating through these thoughts and lies about ourselves that cause doubt, that cause these questions. Am I doing enough? Am I successful enough? Am I even loved? And if you're asking for my pastoral opinion, I I do believe that there is something real, obviously, about this story. That Jesus was encountered uh, by this adversary. It says the devil. I believe that there was this interaction. And the reason why I believe it is because I've also experienced it. I've experienced it powerful in the last few weeks. And whether you know it or not, cognizantly, whether you believe it or not, I bet you have experienced this internal battle within yourselves as well, asking yourselves these questions. See, in the first temptation out of three, the story goes like this. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. See, in this first temptation, it was clear that Jesus was hungry. See, what we have to know about Jesus and what we all believe as followers of Jesus, that Jesus was fully God and fully human. And as fully human, just like you and me, if you are without food for 40 days, I bet you would be hungry. If you're anything like me, if I'm without food for four hours, I am hungry. In fact, so hungry, there's a term for that that I always refer to even for myself. We get hangry, right? Raise your hand if you've ever been hangry. Yes, okay. Oh, some of you guys didn't raise your hand. So, man, you guys are awesome human beings. Better than myself because I know that I do. But Jesus was hungry because he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, it says. And that there's something unique about fasting. Because again, if you've ever been hungry, if you've ever fasted, especially from food, you understand that there's a sense of desperation, that anything tastes good, that you would just do anything for that burrito, for that taco, for that rice, whatever it is, that we have a sense of desperation. And that's where this idea of fasting came from, is that we can feel the physical The physical aspect of desperation, of brokenness, of longing, of needing something. And what Jesus is doing, I'm fasting, I'm withholding food so I can experience that knowing that it's God who satisfies. It's God who does the work in me. It's God who transforms my life. It's God that's who I need to be connected to. And that is the message. And yet the devil, it says, comes and says, hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry, but why don't you just snap your finger and turn this stone to turn to bread? Then you won't be hungry anymore. He basically says, uh, the devil says, if you are the son of God, again, that's the test, that's the temptation. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Essentially, what the devil is telling them is that, obviously, you're hungry. Not only are you hungry, but you're probably going to die. You have not eaten for 40 days. And when the human body doesn't eat for 40 days, there's a high possibility that one can die. And so the devil says, Jesus, you are about to die. You're hungry. You need to do something. You can do something. So do something. Do something more. Do something that the devil tries to bring this lie that says, as long as you do it, then you will bring life. Then you will be satisfied. Then you will be content and fulfilled. And you see the dichotomy in Jesus at this moment where he was fasting for 40 days because he was longing to be connected with God. He he was broken. He was desperate, because we've all felt that before when we've been hungry for food, and that's what fasting is all about, and Jesus is wrestling right now with his hunger, yes, maybe in physical pain, and, and, and I don't know about death, but there's something to be said about just this desperation and longing, and yet the devil says, if you want to be satisfied, here's what you need to what? Here's what you need to do. Do turn this stone into bread, then you will receive life. And Jesus, being so intimately connected to God, says and understood the truth and says, It's not about what I do, it's not about what I can do. It it seems pretty obvious that if Jesus wanted to eat, Jesus could eat. It seems pretty obvious that if Jesus snapped his finger, uh, he can turn that stone into bread. That's pretty obvious. And yet the devil was trying to tempt him and saying, "If you want to experience more life and better life and fulfill life and a happier life, then do more." And Jesus understood it 's not about doing more. In fact, if anything it's about doing less, it 's about eliminating. it 's about being broken. it 's about being humble. it 's about being in desperate need of God, our Creator living as the created. And yet, how many times do we experience this lie? So often we experience this temptation. I know for sure that I do, this constant feeling uh, of hunger, perhaps not for food, but for just something more. Have you ever just wrestled with your own soul saying there must be more and and yes this stirring could be from god but what if this stirring is this battle this internal struggle you have with with an enemy with an evil one saying you're not doing enough you need to do more And, and i know that i've wrestled with that again especially in the last few weeks with my own life with my own soul like i need to be doing more Because what we have believed that whatever that more, that thing is, that we believe that thing is going to save us from feeling empty and broken and unfulfilled and, and fix our discontent and fill this imaginary space of darkness with light. We're so often tempted to ask ourselves, am I doing enough? Because more would bring out so much better and we know that that's not true in fact it only creates more problems and more brokenness and more need and yet we've all wrestled with this temptation of needing to do more maybe it's at work maybe it's this temptation of believing i'm not good enough at my job I need to do more. I need that upward mobility. I need that promotion. Maybe it's as a spouse we feel like we're not doing enough, that you're not doing enough. Maybe as a parent that we're not doing enough. Maybe as a student we're not doing enough. Maybe as a friend we're not doing enough. And we oftentimes want more out of all of these things because we feel like as long as we do more, then more happiness and joy will be accomplished. we get disappointed because that's just a figment of our imagination. Again, in fact, the opposite is true. This lie, this temptation of needing to do more oftentimes creates workaholism, addiction, depression, anxiety, the sense of filling our schedules, stress, and we know how dangerous stress can be, how toxic that can be. And the worst part is we become more inward with our own selves, with our own lives, and we neglect the needs of others. We forget about our neighborhood, our community. We forget about the people in need. We forget about specifically the homeless population. We forget about racial injustice. We forget about, uh, you know, the things that are happening in our own families. We, we don't think about the division in our world because we're so inwardly focused about continually, continuously needing uh, to accomplish more and more and more in our own lives or in our families in our own jobs or whatever it is. We forget about the people around us. Because we close our doors, our hearts to others. It's ironic that they said in the 20th century uh, the, the single invention that changed the whole dynamics of, of, uh, of neighborhoods, and I don't know if you can guess this or maybe you know this, but it's the garage. They said the garage, the invention of the garage, single handedly changed the dynamics of an entire neighborhood, and you can probably guess why. Because there's moments where uh, there, was, there was a time where you were able to get out of your car after work, say hi to your neighbors. I, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever met your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? And, and I can honestly say I, I, might, I know the name, barely the name of one, and, and I don't know the person who I literally share a backyard with. I, I don't know. Because oftentimes, this represents our lives. We just close our hearts because of the the own struggle that we have to accomplish more, more, more. I need to do this. I need to do that. We forget that the world exists. (coughs) And I just love Jesus' response. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 in the Old Testament, uh, the five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And the context is important. We can't just read it and just gloss over it. There's a reason why Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. See, this was a time that he was referring to was when Israelites were going to the promised land. And and they lost trust in God because they would get lost. They would lose faith because they were hungry. They would lose joy because... You know, people were getting sick and, and people were even dying. And in the mess of that season of the Israelites going from point A to point B, uh, from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land, where God says that you will have a better life, just trust me. Just trust me. God is saying, uh, uh, all throughout history of the Bible, especially the time that Jesus is referring to, when these Israelites, they were having a distrust in God, they were angry with God, they were always constantly complaining with God, and God is saying... Just trust me. In a season where these people are like, I need to do, no, do more, these Israelites would actually disobey God, would, would gather more food than God said, would do things that God said not to do, uh, would trust in other gods that God said not to trust. They would take it upon their own selves to do more in order to be fulfilled, in order to not be hungry, in order to feel like they're more alive. And God is saying, that wasn't it. And history has shown, even in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, when people were lost, they realized that the things that the Israelites were going for, because they were in the state of panic, because they felt like God was gone or absent, the things that they achieved, things that they wanted to do, came to fruition that it was worthless. And it actually didn't create the joy and the fulfillment in the life that they thought it would. And when Jesus is is referencing Deuteronomy chapter 8, he was saying to the Jewish people, hey, remember that story when your ancestors were complaining? And when your ancestors were like, I need to do more in order to live this life. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. Life is not just about doing and achieving and gathering and working it's about just simply being still and having trust that God will direct your path. God will direct your path. Hey, Israelites, even though you're lost, even though you feel like you need to do more, just, just take a deep breath. Relax. God will direct your path. In Proverbs, God will direct your path. It's a, it's a, many Christians have memorized this verse. Delight in yourself, and he will direct your ways, your path. And there's something, there's something true about that. There's something peaceful about that. There's something so freeing about that, that even when you aren't doing enough, because there are moments where that's just a reality. We are not doing enough. So what's the antidote for that? Is it to do more and more and more? The answer is no. The answer is trust. And have faith that even in your not doing enough, that God will direct your path. That even God is working in your life, in your not doing enoughness, God is still working. in your, You may not hear God. You may not experience God. You may not see God. And so therefore, out of panic, you just want to do more and do more. And, and what, what Luke chapter 4 is saying, what Jesus is saying in reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8 is this. Relax. God will direct your path. And so in our seasons of of am I doing enough, the answer might be no. But that's not the end of the story. Because God is saying, even in that, that's okay. Because I will continue to direct your path. And the second temptation says, am I successful enough? Verse 5 through, through 8, it's a, it's a second temptation. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. I can give to you. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Maybe this is a time of confession. This is another temptation that I wrestle with. <clears throat> in a world of scarcity, and I would even add in a world of perceived scarcity, this is a great temptation that we need not just to do more, but we need more. Not just about accomplishments, but the things. Maybe a bigger home. Maybe a nicer car, maybe upper mobility, maybe status, maybe fame, maybe a title. Not only am I doing enough, but do I have enough? Am I successful enough? And not only that, uh, it says that in an instant, the devil says, in an instant, this all can be yours and this greek word in an instance it's chronos in a chronos this is an actual uh, moment of time this uh, other gospels call this immediately this can be yours See, we live in a time of perceived scarcity that we need more that we're not only no, we're not doing enough but we need bigger things and nicer things and we need to keep up with our neighbors But that's not the worst part. The worst part of it is we believe and we want it now. Uh, Again, we live in this age of instant satisfaction, this instant gratification, that the nicest things, the better things, the upgrades, we want it and we want it now. Uh, Especially due to technology, due to uh, all the things in the world, this instant access to information, sometimes it's possible. If you want something, again, you just go online or you go on an app and it can be at your door in just a couple hours, if you want information, it can just happen just by popping open your phone. And I remember uh, a couple months ago, I was listening to this comedian. And this comedian says, Hey, remember the time when you would talk to a friend and you didn't know an answer to something? And that was okay? Like life moved on? But now, if you're talking to a friend and you're like, Oh man, what was it? who was that actor in that movie? What do we do? Life doesn't move on until we find the answer. We break out our phones and we Google it, right? And, and we always do this. I do this. It's because we're conditioned to just get anything we want at any time we want. And normally that any time we want is right now. And so we have to always ask ourselves with this temptation, am I successful? And if the devil says to Jesus, You know what, I know you're hungry, I know that you're connected with God, but guess what, I can give you all of this. See what you see, see what I see, see what you see, this can all be yours. All the splendor, all the niceties, all the things, this can be yours, just worship me. And Jesus' response is, there's only one that I worship. And the person that I worship is God. God. See, we've all fallen into this false narrative of scarcity, of not enough. And not only does that make us panic, not only does that create anxiety, but it destroys community. In other words, if we convince ourselves that there's only room for one or that there's only a thing for one person, then everybody else becomes not community but becomes competition. It actually destroys our lives with a sense of greed. Greed has destroyed our lives, greed has destroyed, dare I say our country? Because we've fallen into this false narrative of we need more, we need more success, we need more things, we need nicer things. Because the reality is we all worship something. Jesus says. I only worship God. That's it. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to worship that. I'm not going to worship things. I'm going to worship God. (coughs) And the sad reality is we all worship something. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you call yourself religious or not, the reality is we all worship. We all bow down to something, to someone. And the question is, who do you choose to worship, What do you choose to worship? I remember when I first moved to California. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys are from California, but in California, earthquakes are a thing. It's just normal. Uh, and when I first moved to California, I outfitted my new apartment, and, and I told myself, as soon as I get my own apartment, because this is my first time kind of living by myself, gonna get a new tv so at the time i got this you know nice you know 50 inch tv flat screen you know and i put it on this tv stand and i just remember just always eyeing that tv even when the show wasn't on or tv wasn't on i would just look at it and say man that's that's a nice tv and although it was like my first month there i was on the phone with my mom just kind of catching up yeah things are great it's you know it's freezing over here right now it's like 85 Uh, And I got this new TV. It's great. I live by the beach. It's loud because the ocean. Oh, my goodness. And and then all of a sudden, the earth started moving. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but the ground that I was sitting on was actually shaking. And I was on the phone with my mom, and I was telling her, the earth is moving. Like, there's an earthquake right now. And, And she was like do something, like get under the table, or go in door frame, like, you know, all these things that we've learned and that we've been taught to do. And the first thing I do is, yeah, okay, and I run straight to my TV, and I hold it so it doesn't fall down or fall over or break. And my mom was like yelling at me and saying, hey, your life is more important than that TV. Life is more important than that TV. And I think about that story because although that's a silly story, We live in that way where we think that this thing or this object or this amount of money or this number, in this bank account is bigger and better than what God has to offer and what God has already given us, and that's life. It was so simple that your life and my life is bigger and worth more than any objects that we may be asphyxiated on. So what do you worship? Who do you worship? And lastly, there's this question of, am I loved enough? Verse 9 through 11. It says, the devil led him to Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike foot against the stone. Now, I want you to quickly imagine what is happening. The devil goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want you to go to the temple. Now, who's at the temple? Everybody that's anybody. They're at the temple. The most religious, the most popular, the most famous, the most well-known. They're all at the temple. That's where they hang out. That's where they do life. And so the devil says, Jesus, go to the highest point of the, of the temple, the pinnacle, and just throw yourself off in front of everybody. And if you are the son of God, then the angels will come and catch you. And it's almost like he's setting up this dramatic scene saying, look, look, Jesus, here's the playbook. You jump off the temple, and as you're coming down, everyone's going to be amazed and think that you're going to die. And then all of a sudden, these angels are going to catch you, and guess what the response of those people that we're watching going to be? They're going to be in awe. They're going to be in awe. People will know that you are finally, that you are divine. People will think that you are the person to be around. Your level of popularity will rise. Your name will be the talk of the town if that were to happen. And Jesus again says, do not put your God to the test. Because Jesus understood that in all these temptations, there was a temptation upon his calling, upon his identity, upon his mission to who God created him to be. And and during this time of mission and calling and identity, he had to navigate through these temptations. And again, these temptations that we go through, God has specifically called you, no matter what you believe about God, God has called you, God loves you, God has created you, and it says that God is well pleased with you. And yet there's always internal battles in our lives that saying we're not doing enough, we don't have enough, we're not loved enough. Again, have you ever experienced any of those questions? The answer is probably yes. And Jesus stood, stood so strong in the midst of all those temptations. And where does that strength come from? See, we can't detach Jesus' temptations to Jesus' baptism. In Luke chapter 3, the chapter before, it says this. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That was where his strength came from. That's where he understood his identity and his mission. When God says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And and it's no coincidence that the devil says, if you are the son of God, then do this. If you are the son of God, then this. If you are the son of God, then, then do this. And his reminder was at his baptism when God says, you are my son. You are my son. That is the truth. And and you know what else is the truth? I love you. And you know what else? I am well pleased with you. That means you are doing enough. And when you're not doing enough, that's okay. I will still love you. Why? Because you are my son. And I will always be well pleased with you. And, and, And all of us, I would claim, is that we are sons and daughters of God. And as sons and daughters of God, God loves us and is well pleased with us. And during our temptations of, are you actually the son of God? Are you actually the son or daughter of Jesus? The answer is yes. And so in your time of doubt, may we rest on this. And you can even call it first person. I am the son of the most high. I am who God loves. I am who God is well pleased with. Maybe for you, I am the daughter of God who God loves, who God is well pleased with. And I believe this attitude, this joining of God and the understanding that God loves us unconditionally, will give us strength even through the darkest of seasons of doubt. So as I invite the worship team back up, as we enter into a time of reflection, what season are you in? Are you right now in a season of doubt? Of am I doing enough? Am I successful enough? Am I loved? enough if you uh, if you've ever asked those questions <coughs> and maybe you're asking those questions right now will you find freedom and peace and release by knowing that you are the son you are the daughter of God who God loves and who God is pleased That's all you need. In and through that, God will direct your path. God will provide. God will give you and me resurrected life. (coughs) Are you in a season of wilderness? Know that God uses the wilderness to teach, to grow, and to prepare. God, what what does God have for you in this time of wilderness? Let me pray. God, thank you that many of us, even myself, though we were in the season of wilderness, that you don't leave us alone. That you direct our paths, you provide the very things that we need, and you've proven that over and over again. So forgive us for the way we doubt. God, may we our season right now, no matter what season it is, prepare ourselves to receive the resurrection, to live the resurrected life, to trust in you, to find hope and and healing and transformation in you and you alone and nothing else, nothing of our own doing, nothing of our own receiving or even earning, but simply your unconditional love. May we actually believe that about ourselves. And may that change everything. In your name we pray continue.